It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. The 2 2. Swing and a miss. Hey, struck out. goes down. That's eight strikeouts. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. In steps Brandon Lau, and he swings at the first pitch and pummels one to deep center. Going back is Green at the wall, and it's gone. This week in Rays Baseball starts right now. Welcome to our latest program, everybody. My name is Chris Adams-Wall. We're glad to have you with us. In this week's show, we'll sit down with Rays reliever Andrew Kittrich to discuss the right-hander's comeback from Tommy John surgery and growing up in Washington State. We'll head back to the minor leagues and talk with the manager of the Durham Bulls, Michael Johns, about the Rays' AAA affiliate and its 2023 season. Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times will stop by to give a reading from the Rays' 25th anniversary book, and finally, we'll hear from Rays Live host Rich Hollenberg, who chats about the Rays Roller Coaster 2023 season and his journey from New Jersey and upstate New York all the way to St. Petersburg. And we continue on this week in Rays Baseball with our featured guest, Rays reliever Andrew Kittrich. Andrew, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for having me on. So it's been an interesting 2023 season for you. You're coming back from Tommy John surgery. How has it been for you? We know you that you rehabbed quite a bit down at AAA Durham. Now you're back in the bigs. What has 2023 been like for Andrew Kittrich? Uh, long. Yeah. Uh, it's it's kind of hard to explain, man. I mean, the, the Tommy John rehab is, is such a grind. I know it's kind of a cliche even at this point to talk about the grind of the rehab. But, you know, 14 months to get back here. Uh, ups and downs, you know, just kind of getting very very routine like regimented i mean everything was kind of done the same way every day um but yeah just ups and downs it's uh, i think that's kind of you know talking to a lot of guys that have had it before that's kind of the theme is like there's there's just ups and downs to it but honestly i felt very good throughout it it was more the pitching side that, that had its ups and downs my arm was recovering very well the health of my arm seems to have gone about as good as it can. So, uh, you know, getting to go to Durham there for a little over a month, uh, kind of built back up. I really feel like, um, you know, I'm kind of back to myself. I feel like, you know, maybe you know, there might be a few things here and there that are still kind of catching up. But overall, I've really liked uh, the process to this point. Um, and, uh, yeah, hopefully I could just uh, contribute as much as I can uh down the down this stretch into the playoffs what's the most challenging part about rehabbing from tommy john surgery that maybe people wouldn't expect I, honestly one of the things that i think is, is tough is you know you're you're throwing at 70 percent 80 percent a lot which you don't really do much as pitchers so i think it's sometimes easy to create some bad habits in your mechanics um but so every day is kind of a challenge to make sure that you're doing things correctly um, because it can get very mundane, it can get very repetitive. So, 
you know, you really have to focus during your catch play, during your bullpen sessions to really, really focus on, like, just uh, staying in the mechanics that you know are true and, and are what's best for you and, and not allowing yourself to, to create bad habits. I know you've been with the team, with the Rays now for a couple of weeks. How are you feeling as far as, I mean, you were out for a long time, right? So is everything feeling like it was, I don't know, 14 months ago, like you said? Arm health, yeah, everything. I feel great. Uh, you know, getting back up here, um, being a part of this bullpen that's already so good and, and kind of established in their roles, it's been it's been interesting trying to figure out kind of where I fix in or uh, fit in. But um, but other than that, you know, my arm feels awesome. I feel healthy. I feel ready to go. I think for me, it's just a matter of getting rhythm, getting back into uh, being the type of reliever that I expect out of myself. How devastating was it when you found out that you were going to need Tommy John surgery? I mean, was that kind of like, oh, boy, here we go. This is going to be a long road back type thing? Um, maybe not quite as devastating as it is for most, just because I, I kind of had the scare, you know, a season and a half prior um, where I kind of already thought that it was something that I needed to do. Um, I guess the, the biggest uh, kind of scare, so to speak, was that I felt like I was over it. You know, I, I had the scare in 2020 came back healthy 21 and I felt great the whole time that was what what's made it kind of more shocking than anything was how good I had felt leading up to the injury um and then when it ultimately was told to me that 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 was the route that I needed to take um you know I I guess I had kind of mentally prepared for it a little bit so it wasn't it wasn't devastating in that sense but you know anytime you you hear that you're gonna miss you know a year and a half or or whatever it ends up being you know, that is a little devastating, but, you know, our our staff here, our team here is so good. The culture is so good where it's just like guys rallied behind me. I mean, I, I felt like there was just uh, a tremendous amount of support going into it. So, you know, I never really had um, kind of doubts heading into it. So that was, that was really good. Let's go back to the beginning. You were born in Spokane, Washington. My mom is from Washington State, so I'm, I'm biased towards it. I love it. It's a beautiful state. Probably top five, definitely top ten, I would say, just in terms of natural. Yeah, (laughs) top 50 for sure, absolutely. What was it like growing up in Spokane, though? It's so close to the Idaho border. It's not exactly Seattle out Mm -hmm. there, but it is really pretty. I love it. Uh, I still live there now. You know, my wife and I moved back there in 2019 after living on the west side of the state for a while. Um, it's, It's home to me. I mean, I know everyone typically loves where they grew up. But uh, and I'm no different. Um, like you said, it's beautiful. It, it definitely kind of gets lumped into Seattle, just mostly from East Coasters as well, who just think of the one place in Washington that they know of. But uh, it's quite different than Seattle. I, I mean, you, and it's not really close to Seattle at all. Right. Yeah. It's about a four-hour drive. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, once you get on the east side of the mountain range, you know, we get true four seasons. It's, it's hot and dry in the summer, not like, you know, Seattle. Everyone thinks it rains all the time, too, so. Man, I love it. Uh, I still live there today. I, I plan on continuing to live there. That's where I want to raise my family and, uh, you know, just love the inland northwest. And did you always play baseball growing up? Because that might, might be kind of a tougher place place to uh, to play in the spring, I would think. Yeah, definitely. I had some high school games snowed out. Uh, actually played through some snow sometimes, too. So it's definitely not uh, a huge baseball part of the country uh, a little farther south in the state maybe a little bit but uh definitely was a sport i played all growing up you know 
being a Mariners fan from that part of the country going up, King Griffey Jr. was that was kind of his heyday, and, and I think he really got me to love the game. Um, you know, I played other sports growing up, but baseball was really the only one I stuck to from five years old throughout. So, um, that, like you said, though, like not a huge baseball uh, area, and, and I was just fortunate to, to run into some good coaching and, and uh, made the best of it. How many Spokane Indians games did you go to as a kid? Uh, as much as I could. The nice thing was uh, they had this speed pitch competition where paid two bucks you got to throw three balls and then the hardest throwers for each category got two free tickets to any game so i pretty much got season tickets for two bucks <laughs> that's not a bad deal at all gonzaga basketball fan at all well that's a little tough i i am from spokane i do pull for spokane sports gonzaga is really the only thing of note in spokane sports wise but but i am a washington husky uh so to answer the question, I, yes, I am a Gonzaga Bulldogs basketball fan when they are not playing the University of Washington Huskies. <laughs> and you were drafted by the Mariners, your favorite team growing up as a kid, out of Ferris High School. You were a 45th round draft choice. Those rounds don't exist anymore, or at least not that deep. This was in 2008, but then you, you opted to attend the University of Washington instead, but then you ended up signing with the Mariners as a minor league free agent, so... Walk us through your time as a Husky, though. That must have been pretty fun. Uh, it was great. Kind of a dream come true, really. I mean, I uh, I know on the east side of the state, it's mostly Washington State guys, but for whatever reason, my family, we were always big Husky fans. And, um, you know, I grew up watching Husky football, and that was kind of my thing. And uh, when it basically got clear to me that I might have a chance to play baseball there, you know, I, I pretty much made up my mind that's where I wanted to go. And, and I had such a great time there. The, the group of guys we had there was, was such a uh, fun experience. You know, we didn't have a lot of success on the field, but just some of the relationships we create and the mem- memories you have, uh, you know, that's stuff that's going to stick with me forever. So my time there was, was awesome. Was that a difficult decision, though, when your hometown team drafts you, uh, thinking, oh, my gosh, like this might be my only chance to play for them or I'm going to go play college baseball? Was, was it challenging? It, it definitely was tough. Fortunately, you know, I had a lot of uh, good um, advice from my parents. My parents, you know, really wanted me to go to, to school um, regardless of how everything turned out. And really, we kind of had made that known to, to the scouts uh, that were looking at drafting me out of high school. And so I think part of that is why I was drafted late. And, you know, I wasn't really ever signable um, at that point. I, I knew for a fact that I wanted to get my education and... Um, and I'm just thankful that it worked out a few years later, and I ended up in the same spot. Yeah, and how did that opportunity come about? You must have been really excited. Yeah, um, it was pretty. Uh, it was pretty surreal walking into my first spring training and seeing Felix Hernandez firsthand. When it's like, man, this is a guy I grew up uh, just hanging on to every pitch. So um, that was really a cool experience to be over there on that side with uh, you know just seeing a lot of the guys that I you know not too long ago was was just rooting for as a fan so uh, that was a pretty special experience but how did that even happen did the Mariners contact you at some point during your time at the University of Washington uh so interesting our one of our our hitting coaches was um at University of Washington was actually let go and became an area scout for uh the Mariners and so I had a connection through them 
you know, obviously them having drafted me out of high school were familiar with me, but I signed uh, actually playing out of college summer ball. I was playing in a, a league up in Canada, and um, the Mariners reached out, asked me to come throw in a showcase that they were putting on at, uh, I think, now T-Bumble Park. Um, so I did that, and I was getting ready to go to school, and right about the time I was supposed to report to school, they, they called and signed me with about two weeks left in the minor league season. Wow. <laughs> And you were with the Mariners organization for a number of years, but then cut to November of 2016, you end up being traded to the Rays. So what was that day like? How did you find out? And what were you feeling at the time? You're kind of like, oh, man, but I'm so close to, to making it to the Mariners. Uh, it was definitely a shock. Um, wild story. I mean, I had that, that whole month was kind of strange. I, I was playing winter ball down in Dominican, um, I get released from the team down in the, in the Dominican. That, um, I'm heading back to the States, and my agent calls me, and he asks if I want to go pitch in the Fall League because the Fall League has only got about a week left, and the Mariners were just shutting a couple guys down, and they needed an extra arm, and I was the only guy in the organization that was ready to pitch, I think. And uh, So I went to Arizona for six days through a couple times. But anyway, the day I was leaving Arizona to go home for the offseason, um, which is the day that they protect guys from the Rule 5 and all that, I, uh, I get a call from our minor league uh, secretaries, and I'm thinking the whole time he's calling me that their Mariners are putting me on the 40, man. Yeah. And uh, he asked if I'm sitting down. He's, you know, he's trying to build this story up, and I'm thinking, just tell me I'm on the roster. It's like, no, we, we traded you to the Tampa Bay Rays. So uh, definitely a whirlwind. I, you know, that was a long – or just not a long. It was just a very interesting, unique uh, – week week and a half um from being in the dominican to arizona to switching organizations all, all in a matter of about a week but uh honestly can't can't uh, i don't have any regrets as far as that goes it was probably the best thing to ever happen to me you know getting over here getting to debut in my first full season over here and uh you know kind of the rest is history for me here is it's uh it's been a long fun time that i've been here and uh hope to keep that going I was going to say, I think it's all worked out quite well for you. You're an all-star in, in 2021, and you've just become an integral part of the Tampa Bay Rays organization. Now, you're also a dad, right? I mean, you have your son, Brooks. What's it like? Uh, what has it been like for you being a father? Awesome. <laughs> it's it's really hard to say anything but that. You know, it's everyone who is a parent probably has their own unique story but uh, about how it's a love-hate thing, <laughs> you know, uh, they definitely annoy you and are hard and are difficult, but uh, it's the most rewarding thing at the same time. I mean, um, getting to bring him to the park, which is something that I think, I hope that he gets to remember for the rest of his life, but just being around the game, being kind of getting him able to see some of what I do has been really cool, but, uh, but also just trying to, um, you know, raise him the best way that I can. I think it's just been such a fun thing for me and my wife to experience so far. And is he a baseball fan? Yeah, he loves baseball. It it, it did take him a while to get interested in even playing, but he, he's heading in that direction. <laughs> and then one more question before I let you go, Andrew. We have to ask you about your beard, because you didn't always have it, and now it might be the biggest one in the big <laughs> leagues, or at least it's up there. Doug Wechter has said that he thinks it's the best there is in the big leagues. How did it start? Are you going to keep growing it? And how do you feel about it? Uh, I don't even know how it started. <laughs> I I have always been just kind of a 
interesting facial hair. I just get bored of facial hair and try to do different things all the time. And a few years ago, I, I told my wife I was going to shave for photo day in spring training. And then I didn't know what I was going to do. And I just kind of grew it out. And that was kind of the plan. So that's kind of been what I've been doing the last couple of years, you know, shave for photo day or at least keep it nice and short for photo day and then just let it go. Um, and that's what I've done this year. I probably won't shave it till after the season. I mean, that's that's kind of the route. At this point, I think it's a playoff beard, you know. So yeah, right. So uh, that's a little uh, ode to some hockey guys there. But uh, right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I honestly don't really know. I mean, it seems like over the last couple of years, that's kind of been my thing. But maybe next year I'll switch it up. I don't know. We'll see. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time, Andrew Kittrich. Best of luck the rest of the season. And we can't wait to see you on the mound next time. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. We'll go to our first break, but when we come back, we'll hear from the manager of the Durham Bulls, Michael Johns, about the Rays' AAA affiliate and its 2023 campaign. Plus, we'll check in with Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times about the Rays' 25th anniversary book, and we'll wrap it all up with Rich Hollenberg, the host of Rays Live. That's all coming up next on the Rays Baseball Network. All right, welcome back to This Week in Rays Baseball. We are joined now by Michael Johns, the AAA Durham Bulls manager, AAA affiliate of the Tampa Bay Rays. MJ, thanks so much for taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chris, and, and congratulations to you, man. You're big time now. I remember the last time I saw you <laughs> was on the 125-degree heat in Montgomery, but good for you. Congratulations. You deserve it, and uh, good to talk to you guys. Well, thank you very much, MJ. I appreciate that. Let's talk about the Bulls season, though. The 2023 season, first half went all right, I would say, but the second half, you guys have really turned a corner, and even though there are a few weeks left to go, you guys are sitting pretty right now. Yeah, yeah. It was um, kind of a tell of two halves, and I think you can look at a triple-A season a lot of different ways. I mean, the number one goal for us is to make sure that our guys go up in the major leagues and compete, and I think that I think we've done a good job of that, not only from the pitching side, but the position player side. Um, guys have gone up there and contributed, and that we're really proud of that. Uh, and then I think secondly is you want to win. I mean, we want to win every game, and I think that it probably took us a little bit of time to find our footing. Um, but I thought that, you know, if <laughs> what's ironic, if you took the Norfolk series away uh, the first half, we're probably in the playoffs. But for whatever reason, they just had a number. They were a good team. Uh, but I thought we played really well in the first half. But I think, obviously, the second half has been a lot better. Um, and, again, I'm not real sure where we are in the standings. I know we're playing really well. But I think that I think the last two weeks you're going to see a bunch of teams make pushes and go on runs, and it'll just depend on who's, you know, kind of the hottest team at the end. But really proud of where we are right now, proud of the guys. Uh, we're in the dog days right now, and the guys are still competing and playing well. And just excited for this bunch to hopefully get into the playoffs. Well, maybe not that surprising that Norfolk gave you guys trouble because they're the AAA affiliate of the Baltimore Orioles, and we yeah. know uh, what the rivalry has been between the Orioles and the Rays this season. Let's talk about that postseason push, though. You guys are in the International League, where there are a number of different teams, way more than any other league. So talk about the difficulty of making the postseason in a league like that. Yeah, I think when I when I managed um, and then as the field coordinator going around and watching all the affiliates, you see you're in a division with like five, six teams and you can win a first half winner and a second half winner where for whatever reason, the AAA, the AAA International League decided to just have two people out of two teams out of 20 play a three game series and that and that team goes to Vegas. So essentially you need to finish one out of 20, which is really tough. So Norfolk wins the first half of both divisions. So that's 20 teams. 
whoever wins the second half will then play Norfolk at Norfolk for three games. So it's tough. I mean, I think that every, well, I know that every, uh, every organization wants their team to play in the playoffs because it's the closest to the big leagues, the, the closest like pressure you're going to feel uh, of what we can mimic the big league. So I'm not real sure why they did that. I, you know, I think if you went back to the halves and the divisions, you get more teams in and I think it means a lot for players to play in the big leagues, but it'll be tough. It'll be a challenge, but it's one that I think we're up for and, and we'll see what happens. Let's talk about some of the contributors to the, the Durham Bulls this season. Some guys who have really made their mark. I kind of want to start with Austin Shenton because this guy has had a remarkable season and maybe he's not as high on some of the prospect lists as other guys, but he's having a ridiculous year. Started in A Montgomery, got off to a slow start, and then he really took off to the point where every night when I was there with the Biscuits, I was predicting like, all right, I think after this performance, he's going to go up to AAA Durham. After this performance, he's going to go to Durham. He finally did, and he has continued to light that league on fire. Yeah, it's, it's funny you say that because you're looking at it from a little bit of a different lens, and we're looking at it. That's all we heard about was Austin Shenton. When, when can we get Austin Shenton to Durham? And I think that as an organization, we, we needed him up. Not needed him, but he did, certainly deserved to go to Durham a lot sooner than what he did. But the problem was we had a log jam, and we needed Austin Shenton to play every night. But when we had Basabe here and Bruhan here and Mead here, like we had a lot of guys that were playing every day, uh, and there was, wasn't a lot of room. So finally there was some runway for him. And we had to be a little creative. Um, obviously, Meter got sent down. He's the third baseman. Shinton's the third baseman. So Shinton has played, you know, two or three games at third, two or three games at first. But, like, to your point, my gosh, the guy can hit. I mean, hitters hit. And he's hit left-handers. He's hit velo. He's hit home runs to left. He's hit home runs to center. He's hit two-strike home runs. Um, he's an RBI machine. Anytime there's runners on base, you feel really good about when Shinton's up. But I think the big thing for us is making sure that, you know, he's he's – able to play on both sides of the ball, really been focused on his defense at third, at first base. Uh, but he's been, you know, it, we, we put him in the middle of the lineup right out right out of the gate, which is not something we normally do. Normally we hit him down the lineup, but this guy's a special bat um, and has been really, really impactful for the Bulls. And can I ask you about Curtis Mead as well? We know that he came up here to the Tampa Bay Rays and played a few games, was up here for a couple of weeks and, Things went okay, I would say, but then they sent him back down to AAA Durham. How is how is he progressing down there? Yeah, he's been good. He's been really good. Um, I think if you ask Curtis, probably the tell of the season with uh, definitely offensively has been a little bit streaky where he's gone on some runs where he just looks like he can't get out, and he's gone on some runs where things haven't really gone his way. But overall, I think he's had a really good year. Um, I think he's, he's really good on offensively going to right center field. That's kind of his niche, and we're trying to get him to maybe – get to some balls early and pull some balls. Um, he's been working on that, but it's been really good. And I think the thing that stands out for us, and if you ask him too, is his defense. He's really come a long way at third base. He's playing some second base, uh, just way more athletic. He's working his butt off at it. He does not want that to be a reason why he's not in the big league. So working really hard at it, he's doing really good, and he kind of anchors our lineup. And let's go to the pitching staff now. A guy who also started the year in double-A Montgomery is Anthony Molina, just a 21-year-old from Venezuela. He's a, one of the top pitching prospects in the Rays organization. I didn't really expect him to go up to AAA Durham as early as he did, but clearly he's there to stay. What have you seen from Anthony Molina so far this season? I mean, Chris, you know, this game, it's funny, man. It's all about opportunity. I didn't remember when Anthony was called up, he could give us innings really. And we didn't know how long he would stay. Um, 
but he certainly proved that he needs to be here. He deserves to be here. And I think the thing with Anthony is, you know, he was really that fastball change of pitcher in Montgomery and, and then even in Bowling Green before that. And when he got here, he couldn't find his changeup because he was used to that sticky ball, which a lot of the pitchers that came up from Montgomery were complaining about. And he never complained about it. He just says like, he wasn't throwing it in the game. So he became a fastball cutter pitcher until he was able to get comfortable with these balls. And it really, he really had to lean on his cutter and like use it probably a lot more than what he thought he would. And it really actually helped him in the long run. So he's now a three pitch pitcher with, with three above average pitches. Uh, and he's been awesome. I mean, he's only had one bad outing. Other than that, he's been a workhorse five, six innings. Uh, but, you know, expect big things from him, big arm, you know, good velo, and he sustains it for five or six innings. So, you know, what a good kid, works his butt off, and I'm really happy for Anthony. I know the organization is too. And you've been there in Durham the entire season. Who else should our listeners uh, maybe be aware of or be excited about? I know Ronnie Simon was just called up from A Montgomery as well, and he's a bit of a spark plug too. Yeah, I like how you're getting all these biscuits names in here first <laughs> before, we, before we talk about the Bulls that have been here forever. But, no, Ronnie's been awesome. Um, you know, it came up and just a spark plug in the lineup. Um, d- can do so many things. I think when managers look at him, they're like, you know, this guy's just going to bunt and try to steal bases, and he hits one like 400 feet from both sides of the plate. So he's been electric. Um, he came here, and, you know, the first game I think he probably played the best defensive second baseman of any second baseman ever. And we're like, holy cow, this is unbelievable. And he's been, he's definitely working on his defense. Uh, He knows it's a priority and he's gotten a lot better, but he's been really good. I mean, just twitchy athlete that can beat you a lot of different ways. He's fun to watch. You never know what you're going to see with Ronnie. Um, But just, you know, the smile, the energy brings the dugout and, and the, and the work every day. He makes us all better. You know, it's, he, he's been fun. Um, but to, just to touch on some of the guys that are kind of, you know, been here the whole year, you know, Cameron Miser's had a good year, you know, played Montgomery last year, had a really good second half, kind of doing the same thing this year. has been really kind of a staple for us in the outfield, learning how to steal bases, hitting lefties better, better with a two-strike approach. Um, and a guy that, you know, we kind of lean on in these days of, of the dog days of September. And then, you know, Holsize and Cardenas kind of anchored the outfield as well. And they've kind of been, you know, Cardenas just hit his 20th home run, I think, two nights ago, um, probably on pace to hit 80 or 90 RBIs, having a really good year. And then Tristan Gray, who seems like he's been a bull for a long time, um, plug in to get him in the major leagues, guys, whoever's listening, let's go. Uh, this guy's do- doing it all, <laughs> playing really good defense. Um, I think he hit his 25th home run the other night. He's at 90 RBIs, having a really good year, and he's really the anchor of the team. I mean, he probably was last year, too, so – Really proud of those guys for what they're doing right here. I know that, you know, I think in AAA guys can often get a little bit frustrated with not getting called up, and these guys have just been pros. They kind of get it. They understand it. They understand we're trying to win every night and put the self, you know, be be a little bit selfless in a game that's probably not selfless right now, Uh, but just really proud of that group. Can you talk about some of the challenges of being a AAA manager, especially in an organization like the Rays? who seem to shuttle players back and forth between the big leagues and AAA more than most teams and taking advantage of those opportunities? Yeah, that's a good question, Chris. I think that, I think as a field coordinator, you kind of have an idea of what it's, what, what it's about. And until you're in it, you really don't. Um, I'll say this, the pitchers that we call up and down and hold guys out uh, and send them up there for three innings and the right back out. 
they have handled it unbelievably. I mean, not, and I'm not, I'm not just saying this because we're on the air, but not one of those guys has complained, not one time, not from day one with Embry and Birdie and all, and, and Bristol, all the guys we lost, uh, Heller. But now the group that we have here, like Criswell, Fleming, uh, Foshi to some extent, Beeks, those guys just, they're on the shuttle and they handle it like pros. They don't say a word. Uh, they understand what the Rays do and that the greater cause is that we need to win. And they understand that. And that if they just keep that in their forefront of their mind is we need to win, it takes care of everything. And they've been they've been so pro. Uh, on the position player side, the, the same thing. I mean, I think that sometimes the position players may get a little frustrated because they see the pitchers going up and out, up and out, and, and they never really do. They kind of are here. Uh, but they've handled it well. Um, they understand that this is – an organization that prides itself on winning in the major leagues, and we're going to do whatever we need to do to win. Um, and that's that's just where we are as an organization. We're, the end goal is to win the World Series, and if we don't think a guy can go up there and help, that's not going to probably not going to put him up there. So it's it's kind of a catch twenty two for these guys. I think that they're proud of the organization, they're proud of how much we win in the in the in the minor leagues and in the major leagues. But it also is like it's just such a high standard. It's a high bar to clear to play on the major league team for us. So. It's it's one that it's a daunting task. I think that a lot of times it's the conversations in AAA are a lot more one on one and less with the team. Um, but it's it's been a good challenge. But the guys have made it easy on me. This is your 18th season in professional baseball, MJ. It's your ninth as a manager. But you've talked about this a couple of times during this interview. You served for five years as a minor league field coordinator for the Rays. So before we get to the question. Why did you want to manage again? What did you learn from your time as the minor league field coordinator? Well, I think with the field coordinator, you're obviously looking at things from a macro view. You're looking at long-term. Um, how can we get this guy to the major leagues long-term? And I think with the role of the Durham manager, it's, it's a lot more immediate, uh, more micro. Um, but I think what I learned is I learned from all the coaches, you know, all the great managers and pitching coaches and hitting coaches that we have in this organization and bench coaches just really trying to learn from how they deal with players and how they go about their business, how they teach. Um, that's really helped me uh, w this year. But, but again, like, I don't think people understand this role of just the, the challenges and how a lot of days you kind of have to look at things as, as great. I think that when I took this job, I think I had some absolutes of black and white. And I think within the first two or three weeks, I realized there are no absolutes. Everything's great. You kind of have to handle things a little bit differently. These are grown men. Most of them have kids and they're married. So you just got to treat them differently. Uh, they've earned that right. They've obviously done a lot in this game to get here. They've been successful. So I think that there's a lot of, there's a balancing act in this role. Now you did a lot of managing before you were the minor league field coordinator in the Rays organization. You managed at rookie level Princeton. You managed uh, the short season A affiliate Hudson Valley Renegades. Bowling Green, uh, Charlotte was the last one. Port Charlotte, the Stone Crabs. And the last time you did that was 2017. So what was it that made you want to manage again? Well, that's a good question. Um, I think that a couple of reasons. Um, obviously, Brady got the job with the Major League team. So this was a vacancy that we needed to fill. And as a field coordinator, I've interviewed enough people to know that this is a tough job to fill, especially for what we ask of this of this job. So I think that kind of started off as like, who's the right guy for it? Is it internal? Is it going to be external? 
And anytime you go external, you don't really know what you're getting until they show up on campus and they're here for a while. So that's kind of where it started. And then there was a lot of back conversations with guys that I really trust that are prominent in the organization that said this would be a really good move for me personally. And it would also help the organization where if you want to do this for a year, it's only going to make you a better field coordinator or make you a better manager in the major league. So I think that's kind of where it started. Um, but it, it did take a lot of soul searching. I mean, the field coordinator job's a really good job. And it's a job that you can go home and see your family. You get five day, off days a month. Um, there are a lot of benefits to it. And then you get to see the whole organization and you get this, this like, like I said, this global view. Um, but I think enough people that I respect in the organization said, this is something that we need you to do and you need to do for yourself. Uh, and I think that, again, Chris, like the game's changed. It's, the, the players have changed. And the game has changed in the last five years. And I don't know if as a field coordinator, you see it as much on a day in and day out basis. So definitely the right decision for me um, for this year. It's been fun. It's been exciting. It's been there's a lot of frustrations. Um, but at the end of the day, like when dudes go to the big leagues and compete, it's really cool. So I think it's safe to say it's good to be back then. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, it, it's been, yeah, it, it's really fun. Uh, I think you not think you definitely see the game. Like the nine innings are so fun as a manager because it's constant ebb and flow and, and strategy and, and looking at it, things differently. And as a field coordinator, you're really kind of watching the, the staff, you're watching the players, you're kind of watching how everything's unfolding. And it's a completely different lens. Um, but it's, it's one that's been fun. Um, it's been really fun. It's kind of, it, you, you see these guys, these guys day in and day out and the progressions they make and how close they are to the major leagues and you get to call somebody up. Those are things that stand out to me. Well, we so appreciate the time. Michael Johns, manager of the Durham Bulls, AAA affiliate of the Tampa Bay Rays. Best of luck with these final few weeks. Hopefully the Bulls will make the playoffs again. Hopefully you guys will win in Vegas again. But thanks so much for joining us on this week in Rays baseball. Yeah, it'll be fun. Thanks a lot, Chris. I appreciate the time. And we certainly appreciate the time of Durham Bulls skipper Michael Johns. Coming up, Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. Stay with us. We're coming right back on the Rays Baseball Network. And we continue on this week in Rays Baseball with Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. Topper, thanks so much for joining us. You have a book that you're promoting right now, and it's yours. Yeah, it was kind of a fun project, Chris. Um, yeah, I know there's like very little of the Rays history that didn't happen before you got here. We're all starting this as, you know, this is the year, C-A-W, year one. But uh, I did write a book for the Rays, a collaboration between the Tampa Bay Times and the Rays for the 20th anniversary, which was really cool. And then they approached me last year, and we talked about doing a, another book and doing it in a kind of a different fashion for the 25th anniversary. So it took a little bit of work here, a little bit of time, but it's out now. It's available at the team store. I think it's $50. Uh, it's a great collection of photographs, uh, many of them by Will Vragovic, who was uh, our photographer at the Times. Then he joined the Rays, I think, for the 2018 season and has done great work in both places. So I, I kind of view this book as about 150 pages of incredible photographs, mostly by Will, and a few words that I wrote around them. And <laughs> uh, we broke it into like 25 uh, moments, and, and they're not all individual moments, but kind of 25 moments that symbolize different major events or major stages in the transformation Obviously, it goes all the way back to the award of the franchise in March of 1995, and it runs up through the 2022 season. And now it's story time. You're going to read the introduction to this book for us, Topper. Are you ready? I am. I am, and I, hopefully you'll be okay on the big words. <laughs> I've had the incredible privilege to watch the Tampa Bay Rays franchise from its inception as an expansion team awarded in March 1995 
through 25 always interesting seasons, including two trips to the World Series, and to chronicle that experience in the pages of the Tampa Bay and formerly St. Petersburg Times. Now I've had another wonderful opportunity to relive those memories and to reread those Times pages in assembling this collection of words and tremendous photographs marking the occasion of the team's 25th anniversary celebration. The book is divided into 25 moments, but we use that term loosely. Some chapters are tied to an individual game and indeed do highlight a specific moment, such as Wade Boggs' 3,000th hit in 1999, Evan Longoria's wild, wild-card-clinching home run to win game 162 in 2011, and Mike Brasso's revengeful homer against the Yankees in the 2020 playoffs. Others reflect, reflect border per- periods of time, such as the changes in ownership, team name, and on-field leadership, the accomplishments that earned prestigious awards, and the recent sustained run of success, including four consecutive postseason appearances. I hope you enjoy the presentation and the memories it generates as the Rays head into their next quarter century. Wow, I am floored by that opening. Thank you so much for taking the time, Topper. How challenging was it to write this book, though? I mean, there are a lot of moments in there. There were, and it, it probably was one of those projects, Chris, where the organization, in, in a way, was maybe harder than the actual production, if that makes any sense. And, you know, a collaboration with the team, with the Times, and, and trying to settle on what the 25 moments were going to be. I think at one point um, we, we did it. We actually kind of polled the staff, again, the pre-U staff, I know isn't the same as current staff, but kind of polled some of the longtime staffers and said, send us your best moments. And then, you know, kind of had this list. And I think at one point we had about 45 or so, and then... You know, some we were able to condense, some we eliminated easy, and then it kind of came down to, you know, where do we where do we get from like 35 to 30 and, and 27 and 26 and, and finally getting to 25. And then the other challenge and, and this kind of an inside baseball kind of kind of thing from a writing standpoint was having written the 20th anniversary book, some of the moments were similar to the chapters from that book, but I felt an obligation to make new copy to present new content i didn't want to just literally take those chapters and put them into this book or or tweak the first sentence and run it in so the the sizing the shapes were different you know the the pages the length of the stories everything was a little bit different but that that to me was like just i I felt like an obligation to kind of present new content so that was challenging as well um you know i felt like i wrote it right the first time right so now how do you write wade boggs's 1999 3000 hit differently for a book but it was fun to do. I'm quite proud of it. Like I said, there's an incredible amount of pictures in here. It's about 150 pages. Uh, if you're a longtime Rays fan, I think you'll enjoy reliving those memories. If you're a newbie to the team, to the area, like just maybe you are, I think it's a great way to kind of get caught up on the history of the franchise as well and, and understand the context so that when you are with people and they bring up like, oh, that was like the Longo Homer, that was like the Boggs thing, that was, you know, you have that context. And, and also just because of the transformation this franchise made, I mean, from 1998, you know, and then Stu Sternberg and his group bought into the team and took it over for the 2006 season. But the progress that they made wasn't really evident until 2008. So you kind of talk about the Rays era. So you have 98 through 2007, when they pretty much finished last every year and only won as many as 70 games once. And then you start with 2008, where they've now made eight postseason appearances, including the last four straight, been to the World Series twice. So it's, it's pretty remarkable. Uh, just with the name change, the rebranding, the new ownership, and everything did. So it's really like a look back at the two eras to a tale of two teams. I mean, you've been here since the very beginning, even before the beginning of the Tampa Bay Rays and the Tampa Bay Devil Rays. 
I'm curious, what are your favorite moments in the history of this franchise? Yeah, it's funny you bring that up because we at the Tampa Bay Times for this season also did a top 25 moments, which was also like weird for my brain to kind of reprogram and do this again for the mm-hmm. Times and, and kind of with a different set of priorities. But I always kind of get down to like a top four or five and then kind of really have trouble with the final two. And um, the Brasso homers in there, the Boggs uh, homer for the 3000 hit is in there. The wild ending to game four of the 2000 World Series, the Brett Phillips game. That's always in there. And, and 2020, and, right? 2020, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, I'm dating myself here. And, and then um, I kind of, then I get to the last two, and I, I still, I don't know. I go back and forth on this, but you have Evan Longoria's homer, walk-off homer to clinch the wild card spot. The only person, you know, since the Giants win the pennant, right? Bobby Thompson, to last regular season game to put his team into the postseason. Walk-off homer. And then you have Akinira Ramirez stepping on second base for the final out of the 2008 ALCS. And the Tampa Bay Rays are going to the World Series, the team that up until that point, as we just said, had never won more than 70 games. So you can go back and forth on that, and you could say, well, the final out of the ALCS was coming. They were going to win that game, but that was a really tense game. I mean, David Price throws that last pitch. That ball goes through. It's not an ending like that. It's game seven. And then the other one is you could say, well, all Longoria did was get them into the playoffs. But they got them into the playoffs on a walk-off homer on the last day of the regular season in extra innings. So I, I think it's a coin flip. I love to hear from people. It's a, it's a fun debate when you're around some Rays fans to bring that up. But it usually comes down to those two, and either one's a pretty good choice, and they were two incredible things to live through. Well, I can't wait to read this book, Topper. Where can we get it? Uh, right here at Tamp- at the stadium, right here at the Tampa Bay Rays Stadium at Tropicana Field. I mean, you should probably have some connections here, I'm sure, and can, can figure that out and get hooked up. But I hope so. Yeah, they're available uh, in the team store. I think it's $50. And um, like I said, if nothing else, buy it for Will Vragovic's pictures. They're awesome. There you go. Well, Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times, thanks so much for joining us on This Week in Rays Baseball. And I can't wait to read this book. I hope you enjoy it when you get your own copy. We certainly appreciate uh, Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times for sharing a piece of his new book with us. Coming up, Rays live host Rich Hollenberg. Stay with us. We're coming right back on the Rays Baseball Network. All right, we continue on this week in Rays Baseball, and we're joined now by the host of Rays Live, Rich Hollenberg, for the first time ever on this week in Rays Baseball. I don't know why Neil didn't ever have you on, Rich, but we thank you for taking the time. I'm not going to hold that against Neil, but I will credit you for allowing me to make my premiere on this award-winning show. A couple of Jersey guys, too. I thought it would be a natural fit, but you're a three-time Emmy Award winner, Rich, so we do appreciate you taking the time. We know you're busy, but you've been with the team since 2014. This team got off to an unbelievable start in 2023. It's been quite a season, though. It's been kind of a roller coaster ride, but here the Rays are, looking like they're going to make the playoffs again. What has the 2023 season been for you? Or been like for you, I should say. You know, Chris, it's been fun for sure. The beauty of baseball is every one of the 162 games you play counts as one game. So even when you're losing seven in a row, even when you have as dismal a July as this team had, they're still now, at the time we're speaking, they're still 30 games over 500, which is the high watermark in terms of win percentage for the team all year long. Now, you can't go 30 games over 500 when you're 13-0, and 0, but they got off to that start, and it was brilliant. I think we all knew around the club that 
13 and 0 wasn't going to end up being 60 and 0 and 70 and 0. It's just not the way it works in baseball. So I just enjoyed every win that they piled up, knowing that they were going to need every one of those wins in order to get where they want to go. And before the season started, Chris, and I'm not breaking my arm, patting myself on the back, I thought 95 wins was a a fair assessment of what this team could do if everything worked out. I might be right with the number, but I couldn't be more wrong in terms of how I thought they'd get there. I thought everything had to go according to plan for them to reach 95. They lost their best player. They lost their best pitcher. And they're still on track to win or exceed 95 games. It's remarkable. Just how different is this year's team compared to the first one you were here for in 2014, though? It seems like they've been constantly building towards uh, this run that they're on, this run of success that looks like it's going to culminate in five straight playoff berths. Yeah, I, I, for a while, and I kept this to myself when I first was getting involved with the pro sports teams down here, but I've been living here close to 30 years, and before I did my work with the Rays, I was doing a lot of work with the Tampa Bay Lightning, and when I worked with the Lightning, they were terrible. (laughs) And then I left, and they got really, really good. And when I started here with the Rays, they had just finished up their run. I was here for Joe Madden's last year, and then Kevin came on the year after I started. Uh, But they were not a playoff team. It took a few years for them to get back to that status with Kevin and company. And so for those first couple years, I thought to myself, am I the problem? Am I the jinx? The the lightning are bad. (laughs) Then I leave and they're good. The Rays are not great. And then maybe I need to leave and they're going to be good again. Luckily, I was able to kind of ride that wave and ride it out. And it's been really fun. First of all, I love that one year with Joe Madden. He and I had a lot in common. He's a raconteur. Uh, I love talking music with him. I love talking food with him and wine with him. Kevin is just a, a sight to behold on a daily basis. Just a local guy who knows what a great gift he's been given at such a young age and to watch him grow into this role and Doug and I talk about it all the time on air and off the air Doug Wechter who Mm -hmm. is my co-host he's the best manager in baseball and we don't just say that because we see him do this year after year after year he's the two-time defending AL manager of the year and this could be his best managerial job of his career I'm proud that I get to have somewhat of a backseat to witness what's been going on with Kevin and the team. The team is in the middle of a tough stretch, though. They are playing four games against the Seattle Mariners. Then they're going to Minnesota to take on a Twins team that's probably going to win the AL Central. And then they got that four-game series in Baltimore. How are you feeling about the team's chances during this tough stretch? I think it's kind of coming at an opportune time. I mean, we're so close to the playoffs. The Rays are probably going to get there. There's a good chance they're going to play one of those teams in the first round. It could even be the Seattle Mariners. How do you feel about it, though? You you have to be optimistic with this team. Um, but I think I would predicate the optimism with the word cautious. I'm cautiously optimistic. Things can go wrong. Players could get injured. We've witnessed and lived through a lot of that this season. Um, and the one thing I keep going back to, and this is a much different Baltimore team than it was last year, But Baltimore was coming on strong and then faded down the stretch. And a lot of championship caliber teams have to learn how to lose before they can learn how to win. 
And I think that's what happened with the O's last year. So now they know how to win, and they're doing it at a, an amazing pace. The Rays are keeping pace with them now, just three and a half games back at the time we're talking. It's certainly within reach for the Rays to take over first place again. Is it going to come down to that four-game series in Baltimore? I don't think so. But it could, it, listen, I don't think that's going to win the Rays the division, but they could certainly lose the idea of winning the division if they don't win two or maybe three of those games in Baltimore. Uh, but other than that, I'm with you, Chris. I, I like the fact that we have Toronto six more times. Um, I, I like the fact that we go to Minnesota. We handled them here. I think we can handle them again, and we've been really good on the road lately. So uh, I think, you know, everything is right in front of the Rays. They control their destiny. Well, let's talk a little bit about you. You mentioned the fact that you've been down here for 30 years now, but you are from Rivervale, New Jersey, and you're a Syracuse guy. Have you always been a sports fan? What was it like growing up there across the river from New York City? Across the river to the Jersey side, as Bruce Springsteen says. I Listen, I grew up 20 minutes as the crow flies from Yankee Stadium. I grew up 30 minutes as the crow flies from Madison Square Garden. I grew up 20 minutes from Giant Stadium. Those were my teams. I grew up a Yankees fan, a Knicks fan, a Rangers fan, a Giants fan. Um, that was my birthright, living in New Jersey. And I, I credit my dad all the time when I get asked this question. But my dad was A, not an athlete, and B, not a sports fan himself. But he knew that I was. And so luckily through his business, he had access to a lot of tickets. And every chance he had, he let me know, hey, if you're free, we can go to a game. So my, I felt like Yankee Stadium, Madison Square Garden, those were my playgrounds. That's where I grew up. And I always knew from a very young age, I wasn't going to be a pro athlete myself. So what's the next best thing? And the next best thing was talking about the games that I wasn't going to be involved with as a pro. Sure. And how old were you when, when you realized that, when you wanted to, to be a broadcaster? I mean, clearly it must have been before college because you ended up at, uh, at Newhouse there up there in Syracuse. Right. Uh, it happened for me really young. And that's not everybody's path. But I go to two flashpoints in my life as a youngster. One, I was 10 years old, and my sister and I used to sing in the backseat of our car all the time whenever we take road trips. And so I was very comfortable putting myself out there, let's say. I was not shy. Then my sister uh, was getting bat mitzvah, and... My parents volunteered me to MC my sister's bat mitzvah. It was the first time I had a microphone in my hand, an actual microphone that worked. And I loved it. I felt right at home. And, of course, I, I was a big hit, not because of what I said or how I said it, but just because I was 10 years old sure. MCing a bat mitzvah. Fast, fast forward three years after that, the summer camp I used to go to, um, the head counselor for that one summer was a guy by the name of Gary Barnaba. And Gary was tied into the Syracuse basketball program. And Gary brought a bunch of Syracuse players up to our camp to do clinics and things like that. Right down the road from my camp was a world-famous basketball camp called Five Star Basketball Camp. So we used to road trip down the road, see those players there. Some of those players would come to our camp as well. Gary indoctrinated the love of Syracuse. So by 13 years old... I knew where I was going and what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. 
Let's talk about the. I mean, I mentioned at the beginning of this, you are a three-time Emmy Award winner. You've been all over the place, Rich. You still do a lot of basketball play-by-play for ESPN. I'm sure, there are a lot of young people out there listening who want to break into the business or who just want to have success in the business. What is your advice to them? Well, it's funny you say that, Chris, because uh, one of the things that I've started in the last couple of years is another job, as if I need more jobs. Uh, I split my year half doing the Rays and half doing college basketball for ESPN. But on the weekends, I I have a program that I started called Break In and Break Through. It's for up-and-coming, aspiring sportscasters. And what I tell them right out of the gates is this job is not a job for everybody. If you value working uh, or having time off on the weekends and at nights and at holidays and spending all that time with your family, then this profession is not for you. This business and career is not for you. You have to sacrifice a lot. But if you're committed to it, then you just say yes. Just say yes to every opportunity. Go into every job like it's the only job you would ever have. Because if you treat it like you don't have a plan B, oh, if things don't work out in TV or radio, uh, I'll go work in the sales job like my dad has. Or I'll go teach like my mom does. If you have that thought process, then you're bound to fail. I think the only way you succeed in a business like this, where only the one percenters become rich and famous, you might become one or the other, only the one percenters become rich and famous. I think you have to have that no safety net lifeline and say, I'm going to make it or else I'm going to be panhandling for food on the street. And I only mean that half jokingly. Uh, You have to have the there is no losing. It's either I'm winning or I'm learning because I cannot fail. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time, Rich Hollenberg. That's great advice, I think, as someone who's very new to the organization still. But we thank you so much for taking the time to join us on This Week in Rays Baseball. And we're glad we're not there. you're not a New York fan anymore. <laughs> no, it's Rays all the way. And hopefully we'll be uh, celebrating together sooner than later, Chris. Absolutely. And we certainly appreciate Rich Hollenberg's time on This Week in Rays Baseball. We also want to thank our other guests on the show today, including Rays reliever Andrew Kittrich, for sharing his experience with Tommy John surgery. Michael Johns for taking a few minutes to update us on the Durham Bulls and all things AAA, as well as Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times for telling us about his latest project, the Rays' 25th anniversary book. If you ever have something you want to hear on the show, all you have to do is tweet me, and you can do so fairly easily at Chris Adams Wall and at Rays Radio. Thanks to Jason Barringer back at our network studios plus assistance from Andy Freed, who we are continuing to keep in our thoughts. Hopefully his back is feeling better and that he will be back with us on the air uh, very soon. Antoniel Solons and Chris Miller to Becca Carney, Parker Welch, and Alex Fuse. I'm Chris Adams-Wall. We're getting set for the Rays and the Mariners, the third of four games against Seattle at Tropicana Field. Aaron Savali will start for the Rays against Trent Thornton of the Mariners, as Tampa Bay aims to go ahead in the series two games to one. We will see you next week. The Rays pregame show is next. Enjoy the game, everybody. Thank you for listening to This Week in Rays Baseball. Breaking ball lifted to the air, way up there, into right field and deep. Judge is going back towards the corner at the wall. Gone! And the Rays jump in front four to one. If you missed any of the show, catch it at RaysBaseball.com slash radio.